0: Namur to sab, go ato arahatur sama sambudhasa. Namur to sab, go ato arahatur sama sambudhasa. This discourse that we chanted this evening, the Dhamma Chakravatana Sutta, as I was saying, the very first formal teaching that the Buddha gave after his awakening, um, is the very core of all the Buddha's teachings. It's anything else that came later is commentary with Commentary from the Buddha or commentary from other teachers. The Buddha called the turning of the wheel of the law, his Dhammachaka Sutta contains within it a detailed description of the kind of investigation that is needed to realize what the Buddha realized. At first appearance Obviously, if you don't understand Pali, if you read the Pali, it doesn't mean anything. But even if you read the translation into English, your first appearance is not necessarily jumping off the page as being profoundly interesting. Not exactly riveting reading. Yeah. But there are many things in life that um, we're not, automatically impressed with the appearance of. And, and so, certainly in situations like this, in matters like this where we're talking about wisdom, yeah. is what the Buddha's holding up as the essence of the spiritual journey. It's not about happiness, it's not about beauty. There may well be a great deal of beauty and happiness on the journey, but what's more important than anything else on the spiritual journey or in life in general, is whether there's wisdom or not. And so that's what's encoded in this this teaching, the, the Dhammachaka Sutta. And, and as I say, it's not jumping off the page. It's not automatically obvious. Uh, so we're wise to caution ourselves. Just because something's not appealing doesn't mean to say it's not valuable. Many of us will have been brought up with the, uh, the story of the ugly duckling and we know what happens is the ugly duckling grows up and turns into a very beautiful swan. It wasn't necessarily beautiful in the beginning or perhaps more immediately you, you see Anagarika Justin cooking pancakes in the kitchen uh, that bowl of slop that he's got there is not particularly enticing or fascinating. But when the pancakes are cooked, they're really good. They look good, they taste good, they are good. Uh, But they don't automatically appear that way. And so there are many instances in in life where we're not automatically impressed with the first appearance. And so it can be with the wisdom teachings of the Buddha. We should caution ourselves. And just because this. Doesn't grab my attention, doesn't mean to say it's not relevant. In fact, it's the most relevant thing. Mm. Mm. When there's not wisdom, then we can, even the beautiful things in life, we can spoil, Mm. like happiness. Happiness comes along, and if we are not wise in our relationship with happiness, what happens? Happiness comes along, it looks appealing, but happiness is like, well, or beauty. It's like if you're down by the lake, you're sitting down by the lake, and and a beautiful butterfly lands on your knee, and there's a beautiful butterfly, and I'll have that. Yeah. Yeah oops, hmm. squashed it, killed it, spoiled it. That's what we do. That's what we do when we're not wise. Now, we don't immediately see that. In fact, it took the Buddha a long time before he saw that, before he actually saw that's what's happening over and over and over again. With all So much in life is beautiful, is lovely, but we spoil it. So much in life is actually painful, is difficult, and we regularly make it much worse. We get lost in it, we get dragged into perceptions of eternal hell. Of course, there can be no such thing as eternal hell, and no condition that ever began can last forever. Everything must come to an end. If it's been created, it must end. But when you attach to Suffering, it feels like, is going to last forever. It feels like, it really, it can really feel like this is never going to end. And tragically, people sometimes take drastic measures trying to end their suffering. Where did it come from? It came from this thing that we do with life that spoils it. Really, suffering is a teaching right. you know if you're you're walking along on bare feet and you kick something and you 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 hurt your foot and there's no pain you're liable to get an infection and you know you could end up getting gangrene and losing your foot which would be a great pity yeah. the pain what's the function of the pain the pain is to say pay attention here that's that's what pain is for it Says, pay attention here and you probably heard of those people who suffer from a medical condition where they don't feel pain. They need a lot of protection. Yeah. Pain is saying pay attention here. Well, in the body it's got that particular function and in the heart it's the same thing. That pain of loss, of sorrow, disappointment, frustration, worry. We all know pain, heart pain. We all know it. But do we get the message? Well, the Buddha said if we don't have even an inkling of wisdom, we just turn away from the pain. We don't get the message. And then the sad consequences is that we get even more dull, we get even more confused, and get ourselves into bigger trouble. That doesn't mean to say that we're stupid, it just means that we're not actually learning what we need to learn to live life well. When there's wisdom, then there can be beauty without spoiling it. You can let it be beautiful. The butterfly lands in me, enjoy it, looking at it, then it flies away. A moment of suffering arises, perception of loss, even intense loss. You can feel it, but there's something within you that knows don't cling. If you cling, you're going to spoil it. That's wisdom. Mm. So, even goodness, which is what people often think religion is about mm-hmm. mm. cultivating goodness as far as the Buddha was concerned, even goodness is not the point. you know sometimes the Buddha's teachings are presented in a way that emphasize goodness, the cultivation of goodness, the cultivation of generosity, cultivation of gratitude, integrity mm. compassion these all these qualities of goodness and and it's right we do need teachings and understanding the function of goodness it's like you know, storing up goodness building up a storehouse of goodness is like if in the material world you you want to start a business and you need capital you may have the best idea for a startup that you know potentially going to make you a huge amount of money and provide a good living But if you don't have any capital, you can't get started. So that capital, that potential, needs to be built up. And in this path of inner cultivation, a cultivation of wisdom, there does need to be the support of the storehouse of goodness. And so, yes, a lot of the teachings are about how to cultivate goodness, but goodness itself is not the point. Sometimes the Buddha's teachings are presented in an analysis of of suffering, yeah. a detailed explanation of the refined uh, understanding of of the different forms of suffering, but that's also not the point. The point, at least in the uh, the essence, and as is articulated in this uh, this discourse, the turning the wheel of the law, the Dhammachaka Sutta, is is the cultivation of wisdom. Remembering again that without wisdom, anything else, we run the risk of spoiling it. Mm -hmm. A visitor to the monastery was recently Mm. asking me about gratitude and how far do you have to take gratitude and somebody, this situation that he was involved in, he described how somebody had, had basically been very helpful and tremendously beneficial and, and somebody to whom uh, he would feel a lot of gratitude. However, this person was also stepping out of line, behaving badly. And so the question was, how far do you take gratitude? Does gratitude, you know, under all circumstances, are you are supposed to be feeling grateful for this person? Even if this person is behaving badly, do you just keep ignoring their bad behaviour and keep dwelling on feeling grateful? Well, it's a example of you know, when there's no wisdom, then there's the risk of clinging to the principle of grat- gratitude. Yeah. Clinging to even the good feeling that comes with gratitude. Like when you feel grateful, you can generate a good feeling and you can cling to that good feeling... But actually you can behave very unwisely. Clinging to pleasant feeling is not necessarily wise. Sometimes if somebody's stepping out of line, you've got to tell them where to stop. You've got to stand up to them and say, no, that's not okay. Yes, I feel very grateful for what you did, but no, that is not okay. It takes wisdom to know that clinging spoils things. Clinging creates suffering, turns life into suffering. Clinging is what turns life into suffering. And another conversation I had with somebody recently, it was about one, one of the senior monks in our community, somebody who's very generally highly regarded and, and uh, quite a well-known author, um, published a number of very helpful books, and he was explaining to me how somebody had been getting on his case uh, about uh, certain aspects of, of what he had written and and this Theravadan Buddhist tradition that he's a part of and this other person was from another tradition and was saying, you know, your problem is you just lack compassion. And so uh, the language that this person was writing was um, you know, pretty accusative. And so my friend was explaining how puzzling it was to receive such a letter. Somebody he had never met before, at all but they were writing to him and accusing him of being lacking in compassion and and the words that were being used didn't take a lot of discernment to see that they were not very compassionate, the language being used and indeed the motivation, the accusation was not very compassionate it wasn't empathetic at all uh, and uh, came from a very an unhappy mind state and when you look at that you say well how did that come about I say, well again this person probably thinks that they're being compassionate and that's often what can happen we can, you know, study compassion cultivate little compassion have feelings of compassion very beautiful as they are but if there's clinging to compassion, we spoil it. If it's not a wise relationship with compassion, we can end up just clinging to the idea of compassion and be behaving very uncompassionately. So whatever it is, whether it's, it's gratitude or generosity or compassion or integrity, you know, if you're cultivating moral impeccability and and there's no wisdom, you can become really obnoxious, you know, looking down on everybody else who's less than impeccable and and being thoroughly unpleasant to have around. You know. The commitment to integrity in, is in, in itself is a beautiful thing, but without wisdom, we spoil it. So this Dhamma Sutta, this discourse, even though on one level it may not immediately Uh, jump out as being particularly relevant, if we study it, if we practice it, if we take it inwards, if we really pay attention to what the Buddha is saying, we realise that this wisdom is essential. Wisdom is the ability to know directly, to know directly. And direct knowing makes a difference. Direct knowing is what makes makes the difference. Yeah. Direct knowing is what makes the difference in life. Yeah. And there's an expression in the discourse we just chanted, jnana dasanang, seeing with knowledge. There's seeing with information, which we're all aware of. That's what we learn more or less at school. We learn about things. We learn about fire. Yeah. But that's also got to be translated into knowing fire directly. At some stage, somebody's got to help us understand that fire burns. Just knowing about fire is not enough. Mm. If mummy and daddy sit down and describe to us about what fire does, it's not enough. We've got to actually get close enough to feel that fire has got the potential to cause a lot of suffering so knowing about knowing with information is one thing knowing with knowledge is something else mm. and that's what this discourse is about is how to know directly how to know with knowledge jnana dasanam. Yeah. I often think about when my days at school when I remember learning chemistry and, and the teacher created a sugar molecule on the desk You know, these little plastic knobs and rods and you stick them all together and, you know, C6H12O6. Well, whether he actually did create that model, I don't know, but I seem to think he did. That's what they tell you. This is a sugar molecule. But you wouldn't eat it. That's an approximation. That's information. That's not... You can't know sugar. That approximation, that representation, that model of uh, a glucose molecule. It's not the same as putting a spoon of manuka honey in your mouth. A spoon of really good honey is a completely different experience. Completely different experience. Totally different dimension, totally different reality from looking at, thinking about, C six H twelve O six. And so it is with information about the spiritual journey, information about life. It's relevant, but it's not Dasananga. it's not direct wise seeing. And so again, this is what this discourse is about is how to discipline our faculties so as to get really interested in that which really matters. Yeah we can very easily get distracted by things that sort of matter. There's lots of things that sort of matter. Lots of things that are sort of interesting. Lots of things that are very distracting. And if we're not careful, if we don't train our faculties, if we don't exercise intentional focusing of our interests, then, in fact, we can spend all of our energy in distraction. And in fact, I, I think it's very normal these days that you know, probably the primary addiction for most people is distraction. People are... You know, probably never so many people felt so anxious ever before. And probably never so many people have been addicted to distraction before. I don't mean that as a, some sort of a value judgment, just as an observation... I was coming back on the train from London a few days ago and sitting on the carriage looking down the aisle and I I don't remember seeing anybody who was not distracting themselves it's quite nice sitting on the train just looking out the window just being there not particularly doing anything it's an option Lovely weather, lovely English countryside. Mm -hmm. Don't have to do anything. But I think pretty well everybody was doing something. If they weren't doing something, they were sleeping. They were avoiding. Mm -hmm. Most people, as soon as the trolley came along, they started drinking, drinking alcohol, eating food, watching something, listening to something, doing something. And really, when you think about it, is that because they were actually hungry or they were actually looking for information that was relevant to increasing their well-being in their life? Or was it something else? Yeah. Of course, I don't know, but I suspect that a lot of it was something else. I think a lot of it was just restlessness, addiction to distraction. That's what they're used to. When we get When we get used to being distracted and we try to stop, there's this backlog of uninspected suffering. That's what happens when we distract ourselves from suffering, when we don't get the message that the Buddha was pointing to. This suffering that I'm talking about, that you may not find appealing, actually is the most important thing. Because this is the thing that we all want to be free from. All beings want to be free from suffering. So this discourse, the Four Noble Truths, talking about, pointing to, there is this actuality, there is this reality of suffering. And there really is a cause to it. It's not just an accident. And there really is the possibility of an ending to it. And there really is a science to that process of awakening to the ending. There is a path, there's an actual path, the Buddha was saying, that can be walked Mm. to this awakening, the path of awakening. And this is the Four Noble Truths. And so to stop following the condition impulses to always be looking outwards is not a judgment of the outer world. Listening outwards is not a judgment of the outer world. Mm. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and all the sense objects, they just are what they are. What's a bit of an issue for us is when we get hooked on following these impulses. So if we get inspired by the possibility of the cultivation of wisdom, which is what this discourse is aiming at doing, and yes, yes, Beauty can be wonderful. Peace can be wonderful. These things can be uplifting and energizing and inspiring. But if there's not wisdom, then we risk spoiling the beauty and the goodness of life. So if we get inspired to cultivate this wisdom, then there needs to be the recognition there's a training to be done. We need to reverse this conditioned impulse to always be going out. I emphasize again that the Buddha is not talking about judging the sense objects and all the sensory world, but intelligently investigating. I mean intelligently investigating, not just as a reaction because we're so desperate to find a solution, but really slowing down and exercising our discernment and saying, what actually is going on here that makes life so difficult? Why are so many people who've got so much struggling so intensely? Somebody recently sent me a a link to a a YouTube clip and it was a very wholesome thing some, some training program going on in Thailand and I don't usually spend a lot of time on YouTube, but I, on this occasion, once I was in there, I started clicking on, as one does, the other associated subjects, and, and I came across all these different Buddhist teachers and teachings on there. And so I did a search for Ajahn Menindo, and fortunately he's got a very, very low profile, and long may it stay that way. In fact, the subject comes up from time to time at our, our publications committee meeting where some people are keen on our uh, embracing YouTube and putting lots more teachings out on YouTube. And I can obviously see what's attractive about it. And if people find it beneficial, well, that's fine. But really, a lot of it is the same as with our other senses. It pulls our attention out, looking outwards. And what are we doing? Who's at home? Who's here? Who's inwardly looking at the habit of clinging, the source of suffering? Who's there? Often there's nobody there, and that's actually, (laughs) again, not wanting to... sound too critical, but on that train coming back from London, looking at a lot of the people, a lot of it looks like there's nobody home. There's people, the sense of vitality. Even young people seem very drained of vitality. And again, it's not because people are bad, but the lack of wisdom means that the heart energy is always going out and the heart becomes drained seeing hearing smelling tasting touching and cognizing the sixth sense of the mind if we don't know how to stop thinking i mean stop in the sense of inhibit contain allow thinking to settle not not brutally trying to stop the activity that can create a lot more suffering but finding skillful ways of stewarding the mind, so that it settles, so it stills. And so we get to recognize the peaceful heart, the quiet mind, and realize how refreshing, how wonderfully refreshing that can be. Refreshing physically, refreshing our nervous system. And also opening doors to understanding, opening doors to insight. How there can be a very quiet investigation of this dynamic of clinging. You know, we start off by listening to teachings like this Dhamma discourse and pointing out how when there's a lack of wisdom we fall into the habit of clinging and spoiling life. But what needs to happen is that we take that information deeper. We stop thinking about it and we feel it. We investigate in, in, in what's called a silent feeling investigation. listening inwards, turning the light of attention inwards and feeling what it feels like when clinging takes place and when we feel the consequence, when we really see directly, not just reading about clinging in a book, hearing about the dynamic but actually being there with presence, with attention with sensitivity and see that we have a choice, we have an option We don't have to cling to that moment of suffering or that moment of joy. Memory of beautiful moments appear in the mind. We can enjoy them. Let them be beautiful. Moments of sadness arise in the mind. Let them be sad. That's what they are. They're sad. It's like salt tastes salty. If you try to make salt taste like honey... we've got a problem. So the sensible thing to do is, if you're tasting something salty, you let it be salty. If you're tasting something sweet, you let it be sweet. So the wise relationship with life comes about with this recognition that the the Buddha is talking about in this discourse, when there's letting go. When there's an actual moment of letting go, not thinking about letting go, but an actual moment of letting go of the momentum of clinging, and then you see, aha, that makes a difference. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't even matter what the books say for that matter. Right. That makes a difference. And that changes our relationship to life, which, of course, is the point of the spiritual teachings. So, Thank you very much this evening for your attention. And the Mayan Dhamma to Kalinga Dhamma say,